The Secrets of Star Trek is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, episode 56. Captain DeBridge, Spock here. Make yourself. Surrender is not an option. Attention crew of the Enterprise, this is James Kirk. We are all explorers, driven to know what's over the horizon, what's beyond our own shores. We would have helped you get home if you had asked. That's who Starfleet is. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, where we discuss the hidden layers and deeper meaning found in all the Star Trek TV series, movies, and more. And today we're discussing the Voyager episode, Time and Again. Joining me today on the panel are Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going, Dom? Very well. And Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. Folks, you've you've been doing such a great job, folks, the listeners to the podcast, of sharing the the show with your friends. Uh, and please keep it up. It, it's It's so gratifying that you're enjoying the show and that you want to grow our community of listeners. That that helps us, helps us to keep making these shows, and it helps you because you get more content and uh, interesting content because we get feedback from people and that sort of thing. So please keep it up and keep sharing uh, the episodes and letting people know about Secrets of Star Trek. We do appreciate that. I do want to let you know about another new show that we've got coming, uh, that we've got out now. It's actually available now in the first few episodes. It's a show called Raising the Bets, and it's a show that I'm doing with my wife, Melanie. It's a family podcast about Oh, the the interesting, lovely life of a Catholic family that's homeschooling. Oh, we have five kids, and we're all in the house all day long in this little house. Me working here in my studio, and the kids and my wife in the other room uh, doing schoolwork, and all the adventures we go on and the fun things we do. And uh, we, we we hope you'd enjoy, you know, seeing what's going on, sort of the, the personal side of SQPN and some of what this whole network is about. And you know, when you support us, it's what you're supporting is is uh, things like my family as a as an employee of SQPN. So I felt like it would be good to share that with you. So please check it out. It's at sqpn.com slash bets, B-E-T-T-S. And let me know what you think. And if you if you enjoy it, please subscribe if you enjoy it. All right. So we're talking about uh, this Voyager episode. It's the third episode of the first season. So we've already had two episodes, the pilot, uh, then the, the Parallax episode, and now we're in the third episode. It aired in January of 1995, so right at the beginning. And so the basic plot is, while Voyager is traveling through space, trying to get home to the, the Alpha Quadrant, they investigate a massive explosion that destroyed all life on the planet, and in the midst of that, Janeway and Paris are swept back a day in time, and they have to stop uh, the explosion. So right off Except the bat— Except they say they're not going to. Right, mm-hmm. right, exactly. Uh, but then, then they events do. conspire. Yes, because, of course, you know, it's Star Trek. Yeah, thing. and there's a cute kid involved. So as soon as there's a cute kid involved, no tragic ending on this. <laughs> right. Well, I, I depends so, how you define cute. I found the kid annoying. but uh, <laughs> Well, that's the thing about cute kids. That's why on Babylon 5, whenever there was a cute kid, they died. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think so. I saw someone mention it's uh, it's. Uh, child actress star trek child actress syndrome it just it doesn't work it just doesn't no. work uh so it's a couple interesting aspects of this 
it, the, the, I mentioned that we talked about the Parallax episode, which was just before this, mm-hmm. which was not exactly time travel. It was. But was kind of. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it was a bit of a time loop. Mm-hmm. And then the very next episode is another time problem. Yep. And this is not Doctor Who. We don't travel through time every episode. And in neither one of these... Is there anything distinctively about the Delta Quadrant relevant to the plot? These could have no. occurred in the Alpha Quadrant and the same episode. They could have occurred in a different Star Trek series. This is not the way to begin your epic quest home series with just stuff that right. could have happened anywhere. And they definitely set a, a pattern that is no, Voyager's notorious for is a time travel episode where by the end of it, it never actually happened. Yeah. Yes. The time loop. The timeline is reset. Yeah. It just, it's. And Voyager's so bad for that. And I know, I think part of the reason why they had to do that because they knew they couldn't beat the ship up and then go on to the next episode without having to figure out some way to restore that, which there's a, a later set of episodes, The Year of Hell, where they did that. They beat the ship to the point of they actually destroyed it. They crashed the ship. And all of a sudden, the timeline right. was completely restored and the ship was in perfect shape. Yeah, and thus Ronald D. Moore was led to create Battlestar Galactica, where the ship gets beat up and stays beat up. Yeah, exactly. Yes, yeah, it's a very yes. It's a it's a similar premise with a very different way of doing it. So apart from the the plot, from a character standpoint, this was an attempt to establish Janeway's character, her ethos, mm-hmm. the way she solves, you know, approaches moral problems. Uh, in fact, they uh, was a Michael Pillar, the the writer, uh, one of, one of the writers and one of the producers said up front that this was what they were trying to do was to sort of give Janeway a problem to give the the viewer an understanding of this is who she is as captain. This is what distinguishes her. How do you feel about that that approach, that attempt? Successful? I think we already kind of knew who she was from the pilot. I mean, a lot yeah. of the pilot is devoted to setting up Janeway and the rest of the characters. I mean, the fact that she decided to stay in the in the uh, Delta Quadrant so that the the caretakers array wouldn't fall into you know bad people's hands yeah. shows that. And so, I'm willing to do the moral hard thing and stay in the Delta Quadrant. And now that that's done, I'm going to do everything I can to get us home. So we're going to spend this episode not devoting it to get us home. Right. <laughs> well, it, it it's. How many times do you say, well, we can't interfere because of the prime directive? No, you can't interfere because of the time parallax that you're now in if you do interfere. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, in fact, yeah, the, the, I'll, get to, I'll get to that. That's, I yeah. want to talk about that at, at some length in, so, in a bit. The other thing I want to mention is the original idea, the original story idea for this I read was that was this, I, the premise was, what would you do if you showed up at Dresden, you know, the firebombing of Dresden, 24 hours before the firebombing occurred? This is a, a famous World mm-hmm. War II event. I would leave Dresden. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, it's not like you can stop it. <laughs> it's, you know, just two, two people. But but would you try to warn people, mm. try to get them out? Would you? Uh, that sort of thing. And and so that's that's really the the, the original kernel of the of the of what we ended up getting. So... Let's let's talk about the what happens in the episode. Yeah. It starts off with Tom Paris going off duty, and he want you know, and Harry, the dedicated Ensign Kim, wants to stay on on extra duty, but Paris wants the the to go on a double date with the infamous, and I say infamous mm-hmm. Delaney sisters who make their first non appearance, shall we say, 
get get their first reference. Yes. Um, how likely is that a pair of human twin sisters are assigned to the same ship in the same department? I mean, just it was such a an awkward yeah. gag the entire yeah. series, at least until they stopped. They had Paris pair up with Bellana, but it's just what what I what I like about this though is Harry is actually talking. Uh, Tom, for once, the reckless one, is talking sense to Harry. Yes. He says, look, we're out here. Who knows when we're getting back, if ever. People are going to start pairing off. So we should act now. <laughs> and, and because otherwise, there are going to be fewer options down the line. This is sound evolutionary and matrimonial sense right. he's talking. Yes, and right. <laughs> and uh, Harry is like, oh, I got a girl back home. Yeah. And we know you're not going to see her for seven years. Right. And you don't know you're going to see her right. ever. And so and Tom is totally right saying, look, you got to let that go. Let her have a life and a husband and a family and stuff. You got to, you know, just forget about her now. She, she's likely not to wait for you. And you need to focus on what you mm -hmm. can do now. And that's the Delaney sisters. You could go on a double date with them. You know, that's one of the things that's that's an aspect of this that is unique to Voyager and that they keep dealing with in future episodes. Uh, Janeway has this same dilemma with her fiance, yep. I guess it is. Uh, yeah. And, and, and it comes to a head in later seasons when they actually do make contact and find out what's been going on with the people that they love mm -hmm. since they, they, they got separated off. And I do like that they deal with this, that they bring this up, that it's an aspect mm -hmm. of the characters and how they deal with being separated. So that, that is a, a good part of it, um, but Tom Paris is um, catting around is is one probably one of the the least likable parts of his character. Uh, and again, I'm glad they pair him up. Tom with, catting around. Oh yes, <laughs> <laughs> they uh, was Mrs. Washington named him after named him after her or whatever <laughs> from Hamilton. They referenced of uh, uh, never mind. That's a hmm. a dumb Different reference. Thing. <laughs> yes, that I was trying to make. So. Uh, a so out of nowhere, the ship is hit by a shockwave. Yes, uh, and it wakes up Cass, who's been asleep in the middle of the day, apparently, and she dum, sensed dum, dum. We have this dramatic yeah. wake up. Yes. <laughs> yeah, she, she apparently sensed a million voices crying out at pain at once to her, then silenced. <laughs> Where have I heard that before? Uh, she feels a disturbance yep. in the force. Yes. There was a, a massive explosion on a Class M uh, planet that now has... Uh, no vegetation, no people, but the remains of a civilization. So let's beam down. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's, so something happened involving Technobabble that caused a Technobabble explosion, both on screen and off, yes. that, um, that has the effect of a neutron bomb of killing life forms, but leaving the buildings more or less standing. And it exploded like in story time, like about 10 minutes ago. Like this is the, like for, for having just happened. It's this place looks like it's been sitting abandoned for a hundred years or ten years or something like that. I mean, it's sort of there. It, it evidently vaporized all organic matter or something. It was uh, so, mm -hmm. and it's perfectly safe. Supposedly, what this particular radiation does at certain level, it or when it explodes, yeah. it just it completely wipes out anything organic, but non-organic is fine. Yes. Yeah. Th so, it, an explosion of a polaric ion device. And then they find out that the civilization was powered by polaric ion energy, which was just so silly to use something that could be used as a as a weapon of mass destruction to power your civilization. Here is your moral message about nuclear power. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> this, there's obvious nuclear message there. Yeah. I I decided 
in my when I was taking my notes, I wasn't going to take a note on the exact nature of the techno babble they were throwing at us. It's just the techno babble explosion and <laughs> yes. the techno babble power source. <laughs> right. Okay. We, we'll, we'll honor that decision on your part. Yeah. So Tom Paris ha- finds an amazing Delta Quadrant clock that has Arabic <laughs> numerals on it. Yeah. Oh, but when it when it breaks, it still shows on the display the exact time it broke. Here's a hint <laughs> yes. for writers. The whole, you know, like the analog clock breaking at the moment of the explosion does not translate to digital. Just don't go there. It does not. No. So when he touches it, he sees a flash of a different time and place around him. Um, he's so his central nervous system is showing temporal pl- flux, et cetera, et cetera. And they explain this. And here I will go into a little bit of the techno babble. They um, they say that the explosion has f- fractured subspace. And so there are like subspace icebergs floating around. And if you that are hooked into different time periods of time subsequent to the explosion, and if you get caught in one of these icebergs, if one of them hits you, then you either see or if you get fully inside of it, get transported to a moment in the past. And so that's what happens to Paris and Janeway. They get hit by a subspace iceberg and suddenly they're in the same place. But it's earlier, the nuclear winter isn't happening, and the kid screams. Right. And so they, they're surrounded by all these other people in colorful clothing, and they pretend to be travelers to yes. pass as natives. That classic uh, Star Trek t- Starfleet uh, disguise. Yeah. We're travelers from another place, another, another location. Yeah. Know? I wonder how often that doesn't work. Yeah, well, it, it, the kid <laughs> susses him out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He's, he says they're demons. Uh, and uh, Tom solves that by when nobody's looking, saying, yes, we are demons and we're going to eat you. And makes the kid run away. <laughs> and can look sheepishly at Janeway. <laughs> I did yeah. like that. That yeah. was funny. Meanwhile, Paris finds the same clock, only it's a day earlier as he deduces yeah. by its readings and therefore knows they've got 24 hours or whatever yes. the length of the day is on this planet until until Dresden. Right. Uh, he gets the, the shopkeeper to explain to him, how does a clock work here in this, this place? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, imagine like someone's like, I'm from Chicago. How do your Boston clocks work? Yeah. Uh, the same way they yeah. work in Chicago. <laughs> I, I like that the shopkeeper has that reaction. It's like, dude, this is just a clock. You know how they work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so... We get the classic uh, briefing uh, in the uh, briefing room on board Voyager, where uh, Kim and Torres explain that the fractures dissipate into the past, not the future. Um, because subspace. Because subspace. and uh, uh, Yeah, t- techno babble. And uh, now Cass, who's been, you know, saying that she knows about all these people have, have died and she saw it happen. Uh, she got. Um, Neelix. Neelix. Sorry. Thank you. Neelix seems to think she's just crazy, and yes. he doesn't take what she's saying seriously at all. I mean, he's worried about her, yeah. but he yeah. thinks he's worried because he thinks she's making too much of this. Foreshadowing, she is crazy. They just haven't shown that yet. No. <laughs> yeah, much later. Well, but Neelix, early Neelix especially, is very patronizing yeah. toward Cass. Uh, yeah. O- almost, yeah, o- over the top. And it, it's a little annoying and a little distressing a little uh, there, but. Uh, so they go to sickbay. The doctor scans Kess's brain and he's bemused at everything he hasn't been told about what's going on. And he says, I seem to find myself on the voyage of the damned. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no one has filed the proper paperwork when she, when Kess joined the crew. And so he can't yeah. say, well, your brain looks nice, but I can't compare it to 
say anything's abnormal. Yeah, and now this is interesting because he says he was not informed when he sees the two of them. He says he was not informed there were there were passengers on the ship, so he doesn't realize their crew. And he doesn't realize there's a second ship that has also now contributed its crew, i.e. the Maquis crew. Um, and this makes no sense because yes. in the previous episode, Kess came down to sickbay and befriended the doctor and started talking to him about his, does he have a name and everything. And they bonded in mm-hmm. the previous episode and now he doesn't know her. And this, I looked at the production numbers to see, could these have been filmed out of order? And no, they weren't filmed out of order. This is just freakishly inconsistent writing. See, I I wonder if if it was an issue of they were written planning to be done a certain way, but then were filmed in the order they were, you know. Then you you fix the script. But yeah, but they didn't go back and fix the script. But I just wonder if they had intended this to be the second episode. But then it, when they actually got to filming and everything, they produced it in different order. And forgot to fix the, the writing problems. <laughs> exactly. So meanwhile, Janeway and, uh, and Paris uh, in, uh, yesterday, are, uh, Janeway says the prime directive shouldn't let them interfere with what's going on. And Par- Paris says, and I think morally, the consequences have to be better than letting, you know, the consequences of interfering. We can't interfere because we don't know what the consequences will be. And Paris says, well, the consequences have to be better than everybody dying. And I think that's that's a big flaw in Janeway's interpretation of the prime directive of, yeah, well, we just have to let evolution take its course. Well, well no, evolution is that they all die. Yeah. Look, that can't be the right the right choice here. Yeah. By the way, just to go back to the fixing the script issue for just a second, it, it something occurred to me. I was watching an interview with Bill Moomey. Um, who played Lanier on Babylon 5, but he also had an, a, a role in an episode of Deep Space Nine where he played like a Starfleet engineer. And in the, the script... Siege of AR-455, five, 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 yes. Right. And yep. in the script, at a certain point, he had to say a very simple line. It was something like, I guess we're done. Mm-hmm. and Or I guess that'll do it. And when he read the line on camera, he said, well, I guess that'll do it. And the script person comes up to him and is all stressed out and it's like are you adding a well <laughs> and he says you what's the big deal and if you want to add a well i have to run this past management <laughs> and he was just flabbergasted because he had never had that restrictive a level of line reading required of him before exactly you can just add the word well it doesn't change the meaning it's just part of the delivery and but they were just hyper stressed about the thought of having to go up to management to get a script change because the actor is insisting on adding the word well. And so he just read the line the way it was written, but he was just stunned. And I, I, I was wondering, could that be part of why they didn't fix the script in this issue? Because if they if they were written out of order and then filmed in this sequence, the actors would have known. Wait, you met me just last episode. There's a problem in the script right. here. And was everybody just too petrified because of the chilling writing management thing to run it up the flagpole and see if they could get this script rewritten because it would involve multiple lines of dialogue. You'd basically have to rewrite a whole scene. Mm-hmm. Were the actors and the director and the production crew just too scared of trying to get that change past management and said, let's just pretend that didn't happen? Right. Yeah, this would have been about contemporaneous within a year or two of that episode of Deep Space Nine. So 
that's that's entirely plausible that this would that this would be the environment at the time. Meanwhile, Janeway and Paris are trying to get to the center of you know wherever the polaric energy is coming from because they they figure if they're going to find one of these fractures to get back through it uh, using a subspace beacon com badge etc. Um, they're going to have to go to the polaric ion. Uh, I'm sorry, the techno babble plant. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and and they get caught up in an anti nuke protest. I'm yeah. sorry, in uh, anti techno babble protest. Me- meanwhile, there are demonstrations occurring outside the Los Angeles hydroelectric power plant. I was wondering what they, where they filmed at. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's actually a, a fairly frequent Star Trek location oh, yes. that they use. Although that they, I, I guess they have a a, a, a Japanese garden. There yeah, there's like a botanical well garden. So that that they often have used, but not in this one. Now they want the front gate or the back gate for, for this. Well, I suppose it, it looks suitably industrial enough to to fit the bill. Yes, uh, and futuristic or alien future something. And Jamie gets clocked upside the head by by a goon, uh, which is a lot of fun to see her uh, get taken out so quickly. Mm-hmm. And uh, they they get they run off with the protesters. Yeah, uh, at the same time. So and, so then the protesters kind of turn on them and think mm-hmm. that Janeway and Paris have been sent to spy on them because they re- have really high technobabble readings in their body. Exactly. Yeah. And their stories don't check out. Uh, surprise. Exactly. <laughs> the flimsiest of covers. Uh, meanwhile, back in the future, uh, not back to the future, but back in the future, uh, within a the span of a couple hours, Bellana and uh, and Harry have built an ion generator that can cause a subspace rift have modified tricoders to detect the rifts and have created anti-technobabble rift generators that they can wear. That's just stuff that was right in the closet. I mean, they just went to the <laughs> closet there in engineering and it was all sitting there waiting for them. That's right. But there are plot uh, driving limitations on the use of these things. They can only use them for like 30 seconds and then you can't use it again in this area. You have to move to a new area. That's right. That's right. So we've, we've got all of the appropriate Plot drama in place yep. uh, for for this, so that, that all the limitations, um, they can't just point the beam at the at the surface of the planet and then beam them out. Meanwhile, Cass is doing her imitation of first season Troy. I can sense people who are here, so she she beams down to the planet with them, and she's sensing people all over the place. I see dead people. Oh wait, that's a different movie. <laughs> and uh, they they find the 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 subspace beacon. Uh, signal from Janeway's badge, and it turns out it's Janeway and Paris's com badges that have been confiscated by the anti-nuke uh, folks and uh, left behind when they were dragged off and thus destroyed in the explosion. So, uh, yeah, and through one of these rift thingies that they use with the device, um, Kess empathically makes contact with Janeway, and Janeway suddenly decides to blow her own cover mm-hmm. and explains everything right. to the rebel leader. And um, and later, Paris calls her on that. And it's like, wait, you were the one ordering me not to tell anybody about this. And and she says, well, she thinks now that they violated the prime directive just by being there. So they now need to violate it even more by telling people about it. <laughs> and right. So, and her- right. Because the yeah, the leader of the protest has has revealed to them that they be, by the presence of Janeway in Paris. They've had to move up their timetable to today. Right. Is, but isn't, isn't that about like, you know, saying, well, I've already broken and entered into this building. So since I'm already in trouble, I may as well just go ahead and steal money. Right. I mean, the prime directive seems very malleable. Yeah. Here. I, you know, I can understand. Well, kind of, OK, we've already broken it accidentally. Now we need to try to repair what we did. Mm-hmm. Um, right. And so there is a logic there. 
it does come kind of come across like what I've been told uh, by a priest who spent a lot of time in Italy, what the uh, common Italian attitude is towards if you accidentally eat meat on a Friday. It's like, oh, I've accidentally eaten meat. I can now eat meat for the rest of the day. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love yeah. it. I may as well, you know, if, if I've already broken the rule, I may as well enjoy breaking the rule. Yeah. <laughs> That explains yeah. so much about Italian culture. <laughs> but, uh, but so Janeway thinks they because they've caused the protectors to accelerate their schedule, the planet might not have been destroyed if they hadn't interfered with things. Um, and it's going to turn out she was she was right about that. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is actually accurately timey wimey. You know, if 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 yes. the protest had occurred at a different time, it might not have caused the accident. Mm-hmm. Right. Yes, and if they're if if they hadn't shown up, gotten caught, and pushed the timetable ahead to today instead of whatever a week or whatever away, uh, they, they maybe again might not have caused the accident. In fact, it's even more so. Not just that the timetables we moved up, but by the very presence of them, yeah. we'll find out is is what causes the accident. I want to talk about this thing with Ke- that Kess is doing, where she they open up this the they they're trying to open up the rift in these in this fracture, and Kess is sensing Janeway. And Janeway senses Kess. Does this does this particular ability ever manifest itself again in Kess? I don't remember. I mean, she mm. does have psychic powers that come out, and but they seem to be inconsistent. Yeah. What they are, right. I don't know if they use this particular one again. They tend to be plot driven. <laughs> it doesn't seem like they made like a list of well, she can do this, 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 and this. You know, it's just whatever seemingly psychic, uh, telekinetic, whatever. Let's do it. Right. So uh, and, and and of course, we also have the convenient plot uh, contrivances that just as Janeway and Paris and the terrorists leave this room, they uh, the, our friends from the future manage to get that rift open to get them out. And Too late. now they can't open the rift in the same place again. And now they don't they don't know where to go. One thing I do like in this is the way Tuvok is being he is being very logical about stuff because they find evidence that Janeway's and Paris's com badges were in the explosion mm-hmm. and they yeah. assume oh no that means they died and tuvok is like no that only means that their com badges were there and and that's yes. because they get separated from their com badges um but i like how tuvok is being very precise about that it's like don't give up hope yet we don't know that on the other hand he also uh because he knows janeway so well says well she'd never violate the, the prime directive so she's not going to be you know, going somewhere to try to prevent the explosion at the yeah. power plant, uh, and, and and which turns out to be wrong because he has incomplete information. Yeah, uh, but he, but he's making a logical conclusion based on incomplete information. So they're heading they're heading back to the power plant, and the terrorists want to use Janeway and Paris to get them past the guards because they think they're with the government. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they're willing to kill the boy that they've got. Um, in order to coerce Janeway and Paris into getting them access. And so Janeway goes up to the guard knowing that they've got a gun. And this is a slug thrower. This is a gun with bullets. It's really refreshing when they have a gun battle on Star Trek yep. to not have it just be laser beams and little bits of light flying around, but actual bullets. So they've got a gun pointed at this kid. And Janeway goes up to the guard and says, I'm a hostage. And these people are terrorists. And it's like, wow, she was willing to let that kid die. Mm-hmm. <laughs> She's trying to prevent the, uh, the, I mean, again, another moment to reveal something about Janeway's character. 
She's trying to prevent a the disaster of the entire planet's destruction and is willing to risk her life mm-hmm. and the kid's life to do it. Yeah. But we have the worst security guards ever. Yeah. <laughs> so a, a firefight starts. A terrorist goes to shoot the boy, but Paris leaps in front of the bullet to protect the boy. And so Paris is shot, but not fatally. It, yep. It's the... It's the classic leap, by the way, that the sideways flying leap that always like that they always do in these yeah. shows where. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yes. Janeway then gets the, the so they the terrorists rush inside and she, while Janeway's trying to help Tom and then she chases after them uh, and then she gets the drop on them. And their original plan, it turns out, wouldn't have caused the explosion. Mm-hmm. They were just trying. They don't, they're not clear about what exactly they, would, they were going to do. But whatever it was they were going to do would have just... I think they were going to pour a milkshake on the reactor or something. Yeah. <laughs> would have shut things down, would have caused people to question the safety or something along Maybe those lines. Maybe inject something that disrupt uh, the flow of the particles or whatever, yeah. Right. But would not But would not have caused an explosion. But Janeway's presence is almost what does it. So Kess senses the captain's presence inside the plant where, uh, where they are, uh, even though there's no subspace beacon. And so they start opening up this subspace rift, and the rift is about to intersect with the conduit or something that yeah. will make the technobabble explode. The rescue attempt itself by the Voyager crew, that's what caused the technobabble disaster. And so Janeway convinces the terrorist to give her her phaser back. Right. Yep. Yeah. And then she shoots the phaser into the rift to shut it while the you know the Starfleet crew is on the other side. Increasing the phase polarity, whatever, and back and forth and explodes uh, altogether, which doesn't destroy the conduit, but resets the timeline to uh, when the explosion didn't occur. Yeah. So. And that's that's actually, you know, OK, that's clever. Yep. Yes. So it, it, yeah, if, if we're willing to accept the whole resetting things. Kess has a memory uh, on board that something was wrong with the planet, yeah, and, and so rushes and we, to the bridge. And we flash back to that first scene where Tom is for once talking sense into Harry again, only now right. the scene continues without the shockwave hitting the ship. And so Kess comes up to the bridge, and it's like, I am so Guinan, I remember something that didn't happen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, but is relieved to find out the planet is okay. And since the planet is a pre-warp uh, civilization... Not just pre-warp. I, I like to keep saying pre-warp. It's pre-space flight. Space travel. Yeah, yeah it's, they, don't, they don't even have space flight. So uh, they will not interfere. The prime directive is, it, it, it applies here. So my, my reaction, I'll give you my reaction. I'll ask for yours in a second. I'm, there are elements of this I liked. I enjoyed mm-hmm. bits and pieces of this, some of the character moments. I'm unhappy with this episode overall because, like we said, in the end, nothing happened. No one remembers anything apart from Kess's you know vague memory memory. but nothing really goes on here uh that 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 has any consequence in the future and that's Mm -hmm. my main problem it's it's, i kind of agree with you and it i think the biggest part is again like i said the beginning of the of our episode it's this sets a pattern for disco or for voyager (laughs) discovery a voyager uh that that gets gets met again and again and again and again and again they keep going back to this well all the time of the time travel episode that all of a sudden by the end of the episode nothing actually happened yeah yeah in square dancing a series of choreographic moves that return you to exactly the spot you started is called a zero 
And this episode yeah. is a big zero. We have choreography <laughs> that moves the characters around and they end up right back where they started. Yep. Exactly. Right. Now, what I do like is more insight into Janeway. I like seeing Janeway's character play out mm-hmm. to see her, how she is as a captain, how she makes her decisions. I do like the Janeway Paris connection that's here, even though, again, it doesn't actually last because it never happened. But I do like seeing like Janeway and Paris are cut off from everyone else. And there's this interaction because she knows him in a way that other people don't through her fa- his father, mm-hmm. the admiral. And th- so there's some some good, interesting character moments in that. So I do like those aspects of this. Mm-hmm. I liked aspects of it. I I thought it was pretty paint by numbers. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that th- I don't know how well the character design for the alien planet worked. Because yeah. they, you know, the costumes on the one hand, I kind of like them. They're colorful. But I don't know. It just, it, that colorfulness, I think, in a way, undermines the realism and drama. It's a little too polished and shiny. It doesn't look like real life. And it, it feels yeah. artificial to me. And the same. Everybody was wearing the same thing. Basic clothes, yeah. Yeah. It's not like Babylon 5, where you have these richly textured alien costumes with, many layers and everyone's not wearing the same thing and well and it, it looked too like they got a bargain you know like at the end of winter on the fall fabrics selection you know the <laughs> yeah. the, the browns and the oranges yeah. and things like that and they were all human there were no there were there weren't even like nose prosthetics nope. there's nothing uh-huh. they, were, they were just all human beings which again sort of undermines this we're in the delta quadrant where everything is weird and bizarre and different and look a planet of humans yeah <laughs> Maybe we should investigate that. Well, and you know, like the handguns look like pretty standard slide handgun. I mean, standard, you know, yeah. handguns. Yeah, those those were not dressed up guns. Those are those are off of, over the well, the automatic weapons were yeah. over the counter, but they're basically off the shelf, not dressed yeah. up at all. One was, a, yeah. I think, a Walther, and you know, I mean, just it's a stand. They were standard guns, yeah. So you know, uh, I you know, I, we're not we don't grade these episodes, but I'd give this a, a B minus. Yeah, I would give it maybe a C plus. The uh, it was way better mm-hmm. than than Parallax, the previous episode, yes. where it just yeah. made the science in that made no sense. At least here, they invented fake names to cover up the fact this isn't real science. There, they used <laughs> real science science names incorrectly. Yes, that is true. <laughs> that is true. All right. Any other notes that you want to share about this episode? One one small thing. Uh, Maybe I'm wrong, but if it's in a red dwarf star system, shouldn't the light have a reddish tint? Yeah, I was wondering about yellowish that too. tint. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, so that's an instance where they use real world science incorrectly again. <laughs> yep. So uh, that's our take on this. Uh, before we finish out, I do want to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Star Trek, including this week, Harry R, not Harry Kim, Harry R, Layla L. <laughs> Hans G, Anthony M, and David G. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of Star Trek and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. And if you do, you actually get access to additional content as well. We make available some specials, including recently we did a special where we talked uh, briefly about the teaser trailer for the new Star Trek Picard uh, series that's coming up. So if you wanted to, to, to get access to things like that, too, uh, the, all of our patrons get access to those special uh, episodes that we make available there, just as a special thank you to them. 
So that's it from us. What did you think of this episode of Voyager called Time and Again, or what we had to say about it? Let us know by visiting sqpn.com slash trek or the SQPN Facebook page and leave us some feedback there or send an email to trek at sqpn.com. We'll be back next time when we'll be discussing Enterprise's episode called Strange New World. Until then, Jimmy Aiken, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of Star Trek. Thanks, Dom, and live long and prosper. Father Corey Stika, thank you as well. well. Thank you, Dom. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to the secrets of Star Trek on Star Quest. And remember, everybody should drink plenty of fluids. Don't leave without turning me off. <laughs> <laughs>